We're continuing a series and we're wrapping it up tonight that we're calling the simple life. We're calling it the simple life. So we live in a complicated world with complicated and complex people and we worship a complex God. So that can make the Christian life and living it out kind of tough sometimes. There's so many different things and so many opinions and all that out there. So what we're trying to do in this series, we're trying to, we're trying to scale back the Christian life and look at three main things that we can focus on. And the three things we've been talking about are these three things. We've been talking about our commitment to God, our calling, so what has God called us to do, and then the mission, the mission that God has given us in this life. Our commitment, our calling, and our mission. And last week we talked about our, our calling quite a bit. And we talked about how our calling is to be ministers of reconciliation. So we look at the world around us, we look at the people in our natural pathway of life, the people we rub shoulders with at work and our family and our neighbors and co-workers and people at school, the people in our natural path of life, and our calling, what God has actually called us to do and designed us to do in life, is to be ministers of reconciliation, to help those people come back once again into proper relationship with God. That's what we talked about last, last week. This week we're moving on to mission, and we're talking about what is the mission that God has given us. So anyone here tonight who's a follower of Jesus, we claim that Jesus is our Lord, what is the mission Jesus has given us to accomplish why we're on this earth. That's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to jump right into the Bible tonight. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to John 17. We're going to be looking at John 17. If you don't have a Bible, actually, you can just, you can pop up your hand, and we have some in the back that we'll bring you. So if you don't have a Bible, pop up your hand, and we'll get you one of those as soon as we can. But go to John 17 in your Bible, or on your iPhone, or your iPad, or whatever you have there. And we're going to be looking at verses 15 through 26. John chapter 17, verses 15 through 26. And this section is actually Jesus praying, and it's commonly called the high priestly prayer. So if you look in your Bibles, you may have a heading that says the high priestly prayer. And it's interesting, it's an interesting prayer. Uh, We know that Jesus prayed often. We hear that in the Bible. We hear hear things like this. Jesus would withdraw to lonely places and pray. So he would, he would leave, he would leave all the hustle and bustle and all the busyness of his ministry, and he would go over to a lonely place to be with his Father God, and he would spend time in prayer. But the thing is, we don't have most of those recorded in the Bible. We don't know like what the prayer was like and what he was saying. So it's kind of neat that we have this written down. Another thing that's interesting about the prayer is that this is Jesus' last prayer before heading to the cross. So if you kind of put in that context there and you think Jesus is sitting there praying to his Father in heaven and he's getting ready very, very soon to go face his death on the cross to pay for our sins. So that's kind of the context there. One other thing that's kind of helpful for this prayer is broken up into three parts. So Jesus starts the prayer by praying for himself because he knows what he's about to face. He he focuses in on himself and prays for himself. Then he prays for his current disciples, the people that were literally on the ground following him, helping him in ministry, his current disciples. He prays for them. And then thirdly, he prays for all future believers. All all people that are going to hear the message of Jesus, they're going to hear the gospel, they're going to hear the story of Jesus, he actually begins to pray for them. So that would be be us in this room tonight. If you're a follower of Jesus, in this prayer, Jesus is actually praying for you and for me, where we pick it up. So John 17, and we're going to look at verses 15 through 26. And when we do that, I just want you to focus in and think about what is the focus of Jesus' prayer. So it's his last prayer before going to the cross. You could have prayed about anything. Look at what he focuses in on. So we're jumping into the middle of the prayer where Jesus is praying for his current disciples. Verse 15, Jesus prays this. 
My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Let's stop there. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So this is what's going on. Jesus is coming to the end of his earthly ministry. So he was up in heaven with his Father God. He came down, was Emmanuel. He was God with us. He was here for for a few years doing ministry. And then he's getting ready to go to the cross and then ascend back into heaven, right? So he's ending the mission that his Father God sent him on, okay? But when he gets ready to go back to heaven, he's going to leave his current followers there. So he's saying, God... My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. I'm leaving the world. Don't take them out. But that you protect them while they're here and they continue on in the mission that I started. Verse 16. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them or make them holy or make them righteous by the truth. Your word is truth. Listen to this part, verse 18. As you sent me into the world. So in the same way that God the Father sent Jesus into the world, as you sent me into the world, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. So Jesus was sent by God the Father to reconcile and restore our relationship back to God. And now Jesus is ready, getting ready to go to the cross and he's going to ascend back to heaven and he's leaving his current disciples and current followers to do the same thing, to keep reaching those in the world, to move his message forward. And then verse 20, it transitions a little bit. It transitions from his current believers, his current disciples, to all future believers. That's you and that's me. Verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So the message of Jesus, the gospel, is going to continue to move forward. And more and more people are going to come to know Christ. He's praying for them too. And in verse 21, it's really interesting. Think about it. Jesus could pray for anything for us. He could pray for anything for you and for me. And this is what he prays for. I find it very interesting. Verse 21. He prays that all of them may be one. They may be unified Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So he prays for the unity of his future church. We'll keep going. Verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one. He says it again, as we are one. I in them, and you in me. So they may be brought to complete unity. There's that word again, unity, oneness. And then listen to this. The reason why Jesus is praying it will be one is right here. It says this, Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Then the world will know. So the last thing Jesus prays for, when he looks out at us and he looks at his future church, and he says, what do I need to pray for for them? What do I need to focus in on? What are they going to struggle with? What's a priority? He focuses in on the unity of the believers. Verse 24. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am. He's looking future now to heaven. And to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order 
that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. So it's interesting. The last prayer Jesus has of all the things he could focus on as he looks forward and maybe even, even pictures our faces, maybe pictures your face, maybe pictures my face. He thinks of the future believers and the future kingdom of God. What does he focus on? He focuses on unity. And I, I read that and I'm like, it's interesting. Why, why would Jesus focus on that? It brings up that question for me. And I think the reason is this. I think the reason Jesus focused so much on the unity of future believers is this. Because the mission demands unity. The mission demands unity. So Jesus has sent us on a mission. And that mission demands unity. If it's going to go forward, then we're going to reach the world with the message and hope of Jesus. We have to be unified. The mission demands unity. And our mission as followers of Jesus is this. Very simple. It's to make disciples. Our mission as followers of Jesus is to make disciples, to make more followers of Jesus, right? That's our mission. Very simple. I want us to flip over to one more passage real quick. It's back in the left of your Bibles. It's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It's a very familiar passage for those of us who've been around church for a long time. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And we just looked at Jesus' last prayer, his last recorded prayer, before going to the cross. So what did he focus on? And now what's interesting is we're going to look at Jesus' last words before leaving the planet. So he's with his disciples. He's already died on the cross, rose from the dead. And now he's with his disciples. He's with all of his followers. And he's about to leave them. He's, he's going to ascend back into heaven. And this is what he focuses on. And we call it the Great Commission. That's what Jesus commissioned his followers to do. Or we could say the mission that Jesus has given to every follower of Jesus. Verse 18, it says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So God the Father has given me the authority. And with that authority, he says, Therefore, so now I want you to do this. This is the mission Jesus gave us. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the mission that Jesus gave his disciples and he gives to you and me, anyone who's a follower of Jesus, is simply to make disciples, to make more followers of Jesus, to go and make disciples. And when I think of this idea of mission... And this idea of unity and, and what that looks like and how the mission we're called to demands unity. It makes me think of uh, some, some, a little story from my past I want to share with you guys. So about 12 years ago, I was actually in the Ohio Army National Guard. I know I may not look like it right now, um, but believe it or not, I was actually in the military back in the day. So I was in the Ohio Army National Guard, and it was an interesting experience. It's something I want to I tell you about. So I don't know if you know anything about the National Guard or if you've been in it or know anyone has been. Um, but when you're, not, when you're not on active duty and you're not deployed, it's interesting. You do these things once a month that are called drill weekends. So you have your normal life. You're in school or maybe you have a family, you work or whatever it might be. And you have your normal life. But then one weekend a month, you go and you go to this thing called a drill weekend. And when you're there, you know, you've got to kind of put on your uniform and be a soldier all of a sudden, even though you're not every day of your life, right? So you go and you get there and you march around and, 
and you do those types of things. And there's all kinds of training that we would do. There's a bunch of training that we would do in the National Guard. Um, and honestly, we didn't use most of it. We just did this training over and over and over and learned more and learned how to do it better. But most of the time, we didn't use it, right? Um, in a lot of ways, for me at that point, the National Guard felt a lot more like a military club than it did a cohesive unit that was getting ready to go into war, getting ready to go into battle. So, for example, one of the, one of the craziest things we do in the National Guard is on a weekend, we would show up early. We'd show up really early in the morning. We'd get together. We'd have our formation in the morning. We'd march around a little bit. And then we'd get ready to go on a mission, you would call it, right? We'd go on a mission. So they'd hand out the maps, and this is our mission. We were going to drive trucks all the way from Akron, Ohio to Lodi. <laughs> That's it. All the way from Akron, Ohio to Lodi, right? So we get there early. We get all our trucks ready. We go around, kick the tires, check this thing we called our BII, our basic issue items, the, thing we, the things we needed to have for our mission. We would check all that, get it ready, make sure the trucks are running okay, and then we'd line up at our unit, and then we'd drive out on our mission. We'd drive to Lodi. We'd stop, hang out there. We'd fuel our trucks up. We'd grab lunch, hang out for a little bit. And then eventually, after we got kind of bored, we'd get in our trucks, and we would drive back to Akron, and then we would march around a little bit more, right? And the one thing we did that was really cool, one of my favorite experiences just from a drill weekend is we played paintball one time, which paintball is fantastic if you've never played before. Uh, but it was cool because we, we divided into two teams. We had the good guys and the bad guys, and we had our uniforms on, and, and we played paintball, right? And it, it felt a little bit like we were in a battle, right? Because, you know, the paintballs, like, they whiz by your ear and you can hear it. And if it hits you, it hurts a little bit, right? So it felt a little bit like that. But if I'm being honest, all we really were doing was playing army, right? We were playing army and we were getting trained. But what's interesting is all that changed one day. So we're doing the National Guard, then one week in a month, and then all of a sudden... We all get these letters in the mail. I get the letter, and everyone else does too. And this letter, when we opened it up, it contained orders. And on these orders, we found out we were being deployed, and we were going on active duty, and we were going to go to Iraq. And we were going to be about three miles west of Fallujah in a thing called the Sunni Triangle. And we were going to do convoy security there. So all of a sudden, when we got that letter and we found out we were being deployed, everything changed for us. See, we were a very diverse group of people, like in that little National Guard unit from Akron. We had people of different races, different ages. We had 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, people that are of retirement age. We had different career fields, different income levels, different goals in life. All these various different things that made us different and made us diverse. But when we received that mission from the government, it had a way of beginning to bring us together into a more cohesive unit because all of a sudden we had a mission. We had a mission that began to unite us. And because of that mission, as we focused in on that, all of these things that were on the side that weren't as important began to fade away into the background. As the mission became more clear, those things began to fade away and become less important. And the mission began to unite us because mission creates unity. When you have a group of people that are on mission together, they have a mission they're focused on, it creates a unity and a cohesiveness in that unit. And more than that, I think mission, like we talked about, mission demands unity. If we want a mission to be accomplished, we have to be unified, and we have to see the mission is bigger than us. 
So let me fast forward about six months into our deployment. Um, everything was going was going pretty well. What we did, what our job was, we were our mission was convoy security. So that meant there was all these convoys that were moving in, out of, in and out of Iraq. And what we would do is we'd be in this line of trucks and we would disperse gun trucks evenly throughout them. So we had these big five-ton trucks with big weapons on them. And it was our job and our mission to protect the rest of the convoy. So convoy security is what we did. About six months in, everything had been going pretty well, you know, considering the area we were in. We had some people hurt, but no, no serious injuries. Most of the time, we just drove around, and we'd get sniper fire every once in a while, and every once in a while, we'd see a roadside bomb, but um, honestly, none of them were that major, and none of them were too bad. But about six months in, we were coming back from a mission, and I remember it like, like it was yesterday. It was very dark at night. We were coming up, getting close to our base. It was very dark. And I was up in the front 50 cal, so I was usually the front 50 cal gunner. And the 50 cal, just so you know, is this big, huge weapon that the barrel alone weighs 60 pounds, right? So I was up in, the, up in this turret, up in the middle of the truck, and we were getting close to our base. It's dark. We can't see very well. We're going probably like 55 miles an hour. My driver all of a sudden hits this big divot in the road. And when I say divot, I maybe should say, like, ditch. It was, the roads aren't too great over there. So we hit this divot in the road. And you know sometimes when you go into a divot or something like that, your, your tires just go in and take it well, and they go down and come back up? That's not what happened. What happened is we went in, and the truck slammed into the front of the divot. And I was up in the gun truck, and I slammed forward, and I fell into the truck and was knocked out cold. And when that happened, my assistant driver, the person over here, moved me out of the way, put me in the seat, and got up on the gun to protect us. And I was knocked out cold. We get back to the base. I get checked out. Thankfully, everything's okay. But the one thing that happened was I had a concussion. So I got a concussion from that blow from hitting the weapon. And because of that concussion, I was taken off mission. Right. So my job, the thing that I felt called to do by the U.S. government, was to be the front gunner on the gun truck to protect the convoy, to protect the people that were with me, to make the mission succeed. And I was taken off of that mission. And when I was taken off the mission, I was put on a thing called gate guard. So if you've never done gate guard, if you could just picture the most boring thing you could ever think of, that would be gate guard. So we're in the, we're in the desert of Iraq. There's nothing but sand around us, right? And gate guard, I was out on the, on the outermost part of the base, in this little wooden shack that was surrounded by sandbags and plexiglass in 110, 120 degree weather. And what I would do is just hang out there and wait to see if anyone ever tried to come in the base, which never happened. So it was very boring. I was, I was assigned to that for 30 days, and I was taken off that mission. And what's interesting, if you look at the situation, being the front gunner on convoy security is not a good place to be as far as safety, right? Hanging back out of the base just doing gate guard is actually a much safer place to be. But what's interesting is it made me furious when I was taken off of that mission. And the reason it made me furious was because deep down, I felt like that's what I was supposed to do. And the people that I had become united with through that mission, through moving forward in that mission, and come to know and trust and care and, and love, I felt like I was almost turning my back on them in some ways, because the mission had created unity for us. I felt responsible for that group of people and the mission. I owned the mission. And when I look back at my time in Iraq, and I think about what was important to us, it was, it was interesting. Because a lot of things that are normally important to me just faded away in that time. 
the small things faded to the background as the mission became more clear. So things like this, things like entertainment, having fun, those are, those are fine, those are good things, but they weren't that important anymore because the mission was in front of me. How big my bank account was, what kind of car I drove, what kind of house I lived in, the career I had, the position I had at my job, how much money I made, the status I had, how people viewed me, what other people thought about me. Those things began to fade away. And the only thing that was in focus for us was what we needed to do to accomplish the mission. Guys, we're on mission for God. Jesus has given us a mission. And the more we focus on that mission, the more the small things fade away and we can get things done and get things moving. Like looking good on the outside, having our way all the time, having our opinion. Anything without eternal value fades away when we focus on the mission. Especially our comfort. We end up not focusing on our comfort so much. And I have a statement I want to throw up on the board here. I think it's interesting. Let me read it to you. It says, it says our mission isn't accomplished through comfort. It is accomplished through sacrifice. There it is. Our mission isn't accomplished through comfort. It's accomplished through sacrifice. And I know when you see that, I'm like this too, and I say our mission isn't accomplished through comfort. That's pretty, come on, man, Captain, obvious. It's pretty, pretty obvious that comfort doesn't accomplish our mission. But if I'm honest, when I think about and picture the Christian life and what the Christian life is, you know what pops in my mind? What pops in my mind is leave it to Beaver. Right? You remember that show, Leave It to Beaver? Where there's the perfect family that lives in the perfect neighborhood and everything is perfect and everyone around them is perfect and nice and, and loving, right? And that's what I think of a lot of times when I think of the, living out the Christian life. It's how everything should be comfortable and should work out my way. But that's not how our mission is accomplished. It's not accomplished through comfort. It's accomplished through our... Sacrifice. The mission is too big that Jesus has given us to focus on our comfort and to worry about ourselves. You think about what Jesus called us to do, right, to make disciples. But when you, when you boil that down and you think about it, what is he saying? He's saying, guys, I'm leaving. My mission's accomplished. I'm leaving and going back to heaven. And I'm leaving you here literally to rescue people from hell. To rescue people from hell. Our mission is to rescue people from hell that are around us in our natural path of life. And you hear a lot of times in the New Testament we read about spiritual warfare. I think even thinking that way, realizing that we're in a spiritual warfare and there's battle happening all the time. And we fight. Our mission is to fight for the souls of men and women around us. And to be effective in that mission, we have to let go of our comfort and embrace sacrifice. One more verse I want to show you guys. You don't have to turn there. It's 1 John 3.16. And I'll read it for us. 1 John 3.16 says this. This is how we know what love is. This is the picture of love. This is how we can see love makes sense. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Jesus left heaven, died on the cross for us. And we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ left heaven, lived a perfect life, bore our sin on the cross, and died for us and gave his life for us. And we're supposed to do the same thing. We're to give our lives 
to each other and to the mission. One other part of my story that I didn't mention to you guys that I want to kind of fill you in on for a minute is this. So if you remember back, I, I was on this convoy and I got knocked out. We went through this ditch, right? I got knocked out and I was placed on gate guard for a little while. Well, when that happened, when, when that truck hit that divot in the road, it actually ruined the transmission in the truck. So while I was on gate guard, my platoon took that truck out on another mission right afterwards. And because, because of that big, massive impact it took, it ruined the transmission. So they were out on this convoy, and it broke down. So the mission had to continue. So what they did is they pulled up another truck right in front of it, and they hooked them together with this big thing called a tow bar. So you got to think there are these, there's these big five-ton trucks you see going on the street sometimes. There's two of them. One's not working, so they use this big steel bar to hook them together called a tow bar, and they continue on with the mission. And in the front truck, in the cab, there was two people in the front. And then in the back of that truck, there was three people because they kind of all got in the same truck after the one broke down. They continued on in the mission, and they were driving down the road like this. They were hooked together with a tow bar, driving down the road, and then a sniper fired and shot out the front right tire of the front vehicle. They are probably going 65, 70 miles an hour, shot out the front tire. The front truck fell down like this, and they went into a spin. They began spinning, and then they started rolling like this. There was five people in the, in the vehicles. All five of them were thrown from the vehicle. One of them, my platoon sergeant, broke all the ribs on one side of his body right down his flak vest. Another one hurt his neck. Another one of my friends, the driver, broke his jaw. Another one of my friends, Tony, hurt his ankle when that happened. And there was one last one. It was a, a good friend of mine named Mike. And he slept here, and I slept here in our bunks. We were good friends. And he gave his life when those trucks rolled. He gave his life when those trucks rolled. And I say that on purpose, that he gave his life. It wasn't taken from him. Because I remember specifically having conversations with Mike and him telling me that he was willing to lay down his life for the mission if that's what it took. He was willing to do that. He gave his life. He didn't lose it because he knew the mission was bigger than just him. And I think it's very similar with us, guys. Right? We look at Jesus and what he's called us to do. He gave his life for us. And we're to look around and give our lives to each other because the mission Jesus has given us to make disciples of all nations is bigger than any one of us. It's something bigger than we can live for. So we look back at that prayer that Jesus had. His last prayer before going to the cross. He looks forward to you and to me and all the other followers of Jesus. And what does he pray for? He prays that we would be united so we can carry the mission forward. He prays that we'd be united. And he says this, so that the world will come to know him. Because our unity... Driving the mission forward is what's going to cause people to come to know Jesus. So I just have a couple of questions I want us to close with as we wrap up our time. The first one is very, very simple. It's just this. Is am I on mission? The mission's clear. We're called to make disciples of the people around us. It doesn't happen on accident. It's something we have to go do. Am I on mission? When I look at my activity and what I spend my time on and what I spend my energy on? Am I on mission? When I look at my checkbook, am I on mission? Number two, this is an interesting one, but it's very, very helpful and very telling. What do I think about most of the time? 
What do I think about? What occupies my thoughts? What do I get obsessed about? What is flowing through my mind all the time? Is it the mission? Because whatever we focus on and spend our energy and our thoughts on is going to come into focus and it's going to allow other things to fade away. Do we do that with our mission? Are we thinking about it? Are we obsessed with it? Do we have people in our life that are far from God that we think about and care about, that we want desperately to come to know Him? Another one. What is more important to me? My own desires or the mission Jesus has given. What is more important? That's a tough one for me because I have a lot of things I want to do and a lot of things I want to accomplish. But when I focus on the mission, those things fade away. A couple practical suggestions before we close up here are these. We talked last week, and I asked you guys to write down a few names of people that are far from God and begin praying for them, right? So I want you to think of those people. I want you to picture them. And just think about what is the next appropriate step in that relationship. That you can move further into that relationship. Maybe you need to call that person. Maybe you need to set up a meeting with them. Set up a coffee and you just let them know you need to talk to them. Set up that appointment and move the relationship forward, whatever that is. And one last thing too. If you feel like you're struggling with unity, because we, we can't afford to be united. We can't afford to have disunity. If you feel like you're struggling with unity with any other follower of Jesus, maybe you need to meet that person and hash through that. Because our mission is accomplished through our sacrifice.